Do you want to be awed by the world's greatest art collection at the Louvre? Or shop till you drop on the Rue Saint-Henri? Are you intrigued by the view from the Eiffel Tower? Or stroll the Champs-Élysées like a true Parisian? Hello and welcome to TripCast 360, the podcast of lively banter about travel, tourism, and entertainment. This is Michael Gordon-Bennett coming to you from Las Vegas, and I am joined by the Barbados Flash via the Big Apple, Dave Cumberbatch. And to get us started, we would like to welcome you to Season 2 of TripCast 360. This is our first podcast of 2021, and Dave, if you're anything like me... Good riddance to 2020. Hope I never see you again. And let's pray for some normalcy. Oh, man. I'm telling you, it's about time. But you know what? 20, you know, we've still got to be careful at the beginning of this year. You know, the coronavirus has had such an impact on the service industry. Yeah. It, it, it's decimated travel and tourism. And, you know, as we were telling our guests before we got started, um, you know, we work in travel and tourism, but I also work in entertainment. Both of them are gone. Yeah. Uh, we, we can't do anything. And unfortunately, the distribution of the vaccine is not happening fast enough. And uh, I, I read an article. I forgot what publication it was in, but they don't anticipate the beginning of travel and tourism coming back until late May, maybe into early June 2020. And that's just here in the United States. There are still places around the world that are not getting uh, vaccines at all, like Africa. Yeah. And I'll tell you, Michael, with that said, we're focusing today in the city of Paris. And I'll tell you, I'm so excited to hear about that historic city. You got to say right. Paris. Paris. No, no. <laughs> Paris. You got to roll that tongue, buddy. Oh, man. I can't. I can't do that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, no worries on that front. Anyway, uh, before we get started, my, my housekeeping notes, as I do at the beginning of every podcast, you can catch our podcast at TripCast360.com or wherever you get your podcast. We are on every single platform imaginable. So just look for TripCast360. Please share, subscribe, and like us with your friends and family. We're also planning to launch our photo of the month contest soon. Details about how you can participate will be posted on this on the TripCast 360 website, in our newsletter, and on all of our social media platforms. And the best part of all, there will be a prize awarded to the winner. That's right. But you know what? You can also catch us on social media as well, Michael. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And by the way, we just we recently published our first monthly newsletter. Uh, to begin receiving yours, you know, you can go to our website at tripcast360.com. Just sign up. It has lots of great information, including travel deals you might want to consider. Amen. Now, let's get our guest in here. She's been quietly waiting off in the ether someplace. You know, I see her smiling, even though the audience can't <laughs> see her. Uh, our guest is Gay Span. She is co-founder and managing partner at Association of Black Travel Professionals. Gay's career in the travel industry spans two decades as a travel and marketing professional and a travel agent. Gay has won numerous awards, including being named by Jamaica Tourism as one of the top 50 travel agents. Her personal and professional life has afforded Gay the opportunity to travel the world, which includes living in France, the topic of today's show. Hey, Gay, welcome. Welcome, welcome to hey. TripCast 360. Hey! <laughs> What's going uh, on? <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll tell you, we, we're all excited 
about Paris. I've never been to Paris, but I did my research. And Paris being a major European city and a global center for art, fashion, gastronomy, and culture, is the 19th century city scope. It's crisscrossed by wide boulevards and the river Seine. I, I believe I'm pronouncing that right. But I'll tell you what, with so much that Paris has to offer, uh, where should I start if I'm planning a, my first trip to Paris? Wow. Well, thanks for you guys um, inviting me onto your podcast today. I'm really excited to talk to you about Paris, which is one of my very, very, very favorite cities. It's actually the, the city that got me in, started into the travel industry just haphazardly. Um, well, you know, from my first experience there, I, I fell. I'll tell you the story. It was a marvelous story. If you want me to start with my story or do you want me to answer your question first? Uh, actually, you can start with the story, then answer the question, because I think embedded in your answer will be why you chose to live there in the first place. That's 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 probably true. Um, so let me set let, let me set the scene. It was um, right after 9-11. Terrible. I was living in Boston. I was working for um, a trade show company, uh, information technology trade show company. And so um, right after, you know, there was uh, the dot-com bubble burst. So you remember when everybody thought they were going to be a millionaire because it as only had a dot-com, they were going to make millions of dollars. Well, yeah, well, it didn't happen to me, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't happen to most. And a lot of those companies imploded. Then we had 9-11 and no one wanted to travel. So the company I work for basically folded and uh, I was I was living in Boston at the time and a friend of mine got transferred to Paris for work. And like most Americans, um, the idea of traveling to Europe or Paris or anywhere, it seemed like such a lofty, a lofty uh, goal to try to take on. I never thought I really would. It's really weird now that I travel everywhere that at that time I didn't really think I would ever really get there. But because my friend got transferred, I said, oh, awesome. Now I can go. So I'm definitely going to go to Paris. So when I got, I actually flew into London, took the train over to Paris. Um, and, what, and the reason why that's significant is because the train station is located right in the center of the city versus the airport. Like when you fly in to Charles de Gaulle or, um, or the other airport, uh, Orly, it's not in the city. Then you have to drive in. So your your impact is a lot less. When you take the train and you come out of the train station, wow, the doors open and you're just hit by Paris. And for me, j'ai un coup de foudre à Paris, ah. which is love at first sight. <laughs> love at first sight. <laughs> yes, yeah, so the the way that the French ex express express love at first sight is you were hit by a thunderbolt, right? J'ai un coup de foudre. I had a coup de foudre, strike of London of thunder that made me uh, fall in love with the city immediately. Um, one of the first things that I noticed. Now, I mean, nowadays I think um, internet and social media and imagery has given people a better idea of what to expect when you visit certain countries. But we're talking way back in 2000 where, where it wasn't, we didn't have any social media. Let's just start with that. We did have internet, but not 
it wasn't the same as it is now uh, pervasive in our use, our everyday use. Hmm. So I did no research before I went. I had no idea what to expect. And when I got there, I just it just hit me. I mean, first of all, the architecture is just gorgeous. The city is the city is pristine. Um, the the early architect of the city, they they had the idea to have everything look a certain way. So all the buildings tend to be like the same color, like that beige, that beige stone. And a lot of the windows have those wrought iron little Juliet balcony balconies. And some do have actual balconies. And it's, it's very methodical as you go down. Like one floor has a balcony, one floor doesn't. The next one does, the next one doesn't. And it's just so pleasing to your eye. And the way Paris is laid out it's like a it's really like a snail shell so like you think of the middle and then the the areas go around in a circle all the way out and that's how they organize the city so city the way it looks on a map big the grand boulevards as they're called they just kind of branch out and it's just so like when you're you could be somewhere like this was my favorite thing when I was when I was running around in the streets I would be in some neighborhood, who knows where, nowhere near the center of the city, but you, you walk down a block and because of the way the streets are, are organized, you could just look and then all the way at the end is the Eiffel Tower. And you're like, whoa, how can I see the Eiffel Tower <laughs> right out here? It's just little surprises like that always, always made me so excited about being in Paris. And you obviously felt very safe there. Oh yeah, very, I never had a, uh, never had any kind of uh, scary feeling. You know, the only thing that it, I bring my own experience with me, obviously, and I'm a I'm a North Jersey person, New York person. So, you know, we're always on guard whenever we're mm-hmm. anywhere. But late at night, um, taking the train, walking anywhere, I never had any fear of being attacked or anything like that. I was always I always felt very safe. You know, you know, France has a rich history of uh, African-Americans uh, going over there and setting up shop and staying there and living there from Marian Anderson to uh, James Baldwin, my James favorite. Baldwin oh, to, man. You know, you, you can go down the list of, of African-Americans who wound up in, in France and loved it so much. They actually stayed and the specter hanging over your head of always having to look over your shoulder doesn't exist there. Well, I'll tell you, um, there's so many um, African-American expats that do live in Paris. And it, it hits you just like that. Like my story, the fact that I went there, came out of the train station, hit, struck, I'm in love. Show me more, show me more. I was supposed to be there for, I, well, I actually stayed in Paris. Well, I, was, I was in Europe for 10 days. Started in London, was in Paris for a week, took a train ride out to Venice, Florence, Rome. Nice and came back to Paris on that on that very initial first trip. And I can tell you, um, every place that I went around Paris, like the neighborhoods, although they're beautiful, they're very different. They still have a different flair um, from Montmartre, which is in the north of Paris with all the jazz bars. And it's got that little um, cliche, which is that little seedy, little sexy area, sort of like how 42nd Street used to be with the peep shows and everything in New York. <laughs> yeah, Boulevard, Boulevard the Clichy is, is the same way. Um, it's little, you know, it's the nightlife area looks totally different from, I would say, um, Left Bank 
you know, or this or uh, the Latin Latin Quarter, which is where the universities were and, and historically where it was the center of learning, you know, where all the students lived. That area looks totally different, even though it's super cool. That that is actually one of my favorite areas. Is that yeah. that Latin Quarter. Um, and it's totally different, once again, from the center of town, which is where the Louvre is located. That's very uptown, very Upper East Side, you know, very expensive. You know, the nice stores, the Champs-Élysées, um, all the traffic and, and, and the, you know, the glamour of Paris, like right in the center. So each neighborhood even had a different feel. And as I explored just... Just in my in my day while I was traveling around, I was like, oh, I want to know more. I want to know more. Um, and I remember in the beginning thinking, wow, it'd be great to live here. But the but, you know, in your in your conscious mind is saying you can't live here. You don't speak French. You don't know anybody. How are you going to just move to another country? That's what I was saying mostly when I first got there. But by the end of the trip. The, the small voice had switched places with the big voice and the little voice was saying, how are you going to do it? How are you going to live there? And the big voice was saying, I must live here. I must visit. I must stay. I have to know more. Yeah. So the, the story is that there's many, many people that went to Paris and just didn't go back. They send, sell my stuff, mail me what you can. I'm not coming back. And they just never went back. And I was really close to being that person. Wow. Wow. You said peep shows a, a minute ago, Michael's face later. Um, <laughs> uh, um, when, when, when you say peep shows, is that the same thing as a New York Times Square peep show? Oh, see, there you go. There, 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 there you go. Just taking the show in the gutter. Okay. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, well, and, and you can, but Paris obviously always does everything in style because the Moulin Rouge. It's kind of a peep show. It's topless, it's dancers, but you know how much it costs to get in there? Like $300. So, wow. Wow. Yeah, upscale. Did you feel, I mean, did you feel any different traveling as a female traveler? Are there any differences or, or to be more specific, what are the advantages or perhaps advantages in traveling as a female traveler to Paris? Since well, we're talking specifically about Paris. Yeah, I, well, I would say as a woman, you know, we carry our, our womanhood with us everywhere we go. And so I think as a woman that works, walks on this earth, I'm always more aware and constantly assessing the, you know, my safety, right? I'm, I'm, I'm always, you know, when I, I was just watching a movie the other day and I was thinking about how the main character is a man and it's nighttime and there's a big a thud and he leaves and he just walks like, Oh, let me go check out what this what's happening. And I'm thinking as a woman, I would never do that. I would never thud outside. I'd lock the door. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. You know. So as a woman, I think we we always walk with our womanhood and we always have our little, you know, our instincts about us. We may help us carry ourselves a different way. But um, in terms of being a woman in Paris, I think it's an amazing thing to be a woman in Paris. Um, you know, when when people think about Paris and they think about that it's a romantic city and it's for couples and it's for lovers. Um, it is, it absolutely is. But I found it to be the perfect place to have a love affair with yourself, right? You can discover so much about yourself um, in that atmosphere. It really, it encourages you to kind of dig deeper 
and just be inspired by the things that you see. Yeah. Um, how are the people of France? They, okay, that's just great. The, yeah, just the general culture, the people, the welcomeness of, of it all. How, how are the people? See, I think that's a great question um, because I, I get very frustrated uh, a lot of times because when you mention um, Paris to people that have never been, the first thing they say is, oh, they hate Americans. And I'm always like, really? Is that what you really think? They're really not thinking about Americans, actually. <laughs> so right. um, I think Paris is no, or France is no different than anywhere else. There's good people and there's bad people. And no, there's not an overwhelming hate of Americans. Um, I, I, the people there, one thing I will say, though, is culturally, France is different than America, right? And I discovered this while living there, right? So Customer service is really important in the United States, but really, if you if you dig deeper, customer service is really another way to get another dollar out of your pocket, right? If I'm nice <laughs> to you, if I serve you, if I'm nice to you, I'll you'll you'll spend more money with me, or you'll come back. But in France, you know, they're not as motivated by getting the every last dollar. They have a little more joie de vivre, like joy of living in Paris where they do things, you know, um, they do things because of tradition or custom. And, and um, you know, one of the things is as in terms of um, up being upwardly mobile or not being upwardly mobile, like they, they don't really have, they have that obviously, but, you know, bakeries and butcheries and shops are in families for centuries and they they're not looking to see how do I get more or bigger or whatever they just serve their own community so I think one of the ways that maybe um Americans might get it wrong um is so for instance in my little neighborhood where I lived there's a bakery and then there's a butchery and then there's a place where you get your fish and the the people in the neighborhood they visit this bakery. Now in the summertime, they, they, the, the little bakeries and things go on vacation, right? So in America, what would happen is if you were the owner of the store, you wanted to go on vacation, you would hire someone to keep your store open while you're away. No, in Paris, it shuts down. So the baker on this, on this street coordinates with the baker a couple of streets over and says, okay, we're going this week. We're shutting down. Then all of the customers go to that baker and then he shuts down and they come back. So if you are shopping in a little neighbor, this happened to me, right? I'm in line, I'm in the little store and there's a little old French lady talking to the guy behind the counter and they're just talking and talking. I'm standing there waiting to pay for my goods. And the guy is not concerned about me standing there to pay, to buy, purchase my goods. Um, and then, you know, finally he gets to me and I buy my things and I'm out the door. Well, what if you look behind what's behind that? I'm here in this neighborhood for a couple of weeks. I'm gone. People that are going to be there, the people that always are there, the people that come through is that little lady. So she gets priority over me. He's not trying to get my additional little extra dollar. Right. And I think that's one of the things about French culture that Americans don't get. They're not necessarily outwardly, hi, how y'all doing? Come over here. But once you get to meet a French person, 
you become, they're very loyal and you become friends for life. So they have deeper relationships. They have less facade or a lack of a better word about being uh, outwardly friendly and all this other stuff. But once you get to know them, they're really great people. Wow. That, that, that's an interesting take on life that I've never heard expressed that way. Uh, you know, for people who listen to this podcast, they knew I, I, I spent part of my childhood in, in Madrid. And what you just described about the French people is pretty much the same experience I had in Madrid. The, the only big difference is that the Spanish culture is a little more of that outgoingness and the bravado, whereas the French culture is a little, I, I think, a little more sophisticated. But like you said, once you make friends with them, you can't get rid of them. They're, they're friends for life. Where in America, it's like sometimes you get friends up to a certain point and then the relationship never evolves. Or like my experience working in the entertainment industry is people were friends with me as long as I could do something for them. There you go. The minute That's- I stop being able to do, they're gone. Yep. Yeah, and I think that's just a difference in culture. So whenever I would be preparing clients of mine to visit different countries, now different places have different things about them. I know we're talking about Paris, but one of my favorite things is trying to prepare my clients when they're going to Italy. Ah. (laughs) I'm like, the Italians are, they have a whole other personality. And, you know, if you're in, so I would take my, my, my clients, we would go shopping and, and one of the, parts of our trip where we we go to this little leather shop that I discovered in Florence and you know you can get good deals but you got to be willing to negotiate and uh, Italians are you know probably similar to you know you've seen it before with the whole get out it's get out it's out you know they got it you know they're very lively and you know the level of their communication can feel very aggressive to you if you're an American right you're like why are you yelling at me <laughs> but um, when you see that that's just the way that they communicate. So I would prepare my clients to say, listen, if you're going to get in there, they're going to be in your face. They may say yes. They may say no. They may wave their fingers or hands. But um, that's just to be expected. That's their culture. So don't be offended. Right. No, I totally get it. Now I'm going to, um, first of all, before I have you circle back to answer Dave's initial question about where to go visit. What neighborhood in Paris did you live in? Um, so I've, I've lived in Paris multiple times. I'd love to go there for the summer. So like a four-month stint is, is on par for me in Paris. I'll start, I probably arrive late June and, and don't leave until September, October. I, I really love summers in Paris. Um, so the first time I ever lived there, I lived in the Plaisien Arrondissement. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I, I, I know. Do. Go ahead. <laughs> I, I, I do, but go ahead. Explain. I do. <laughs> oh, so what, remember when I said that the city is set up like a snail's shell and it starts yeah. in the middle and it circles out? So the way that they organize their neighborhoods in Paris, they're called arrondissement. Arrondissement. So there are 18 arrondissements that, are, that make up the whole city of Paris. And so when people say, where are you? I'm in the 12th. That means I live in the 12th neighborhood, the 12th arrondissement. So, yes. And um, let me also say that when I moved there the first time, I spoke no French. None at all. None. That was was going to be my next question, but thanks for clarifying. (laughs) Yes. So, yeah. So, um, yeah. So when I got to Paris, uh, French class, that's the first time I ever took a French class. So at any rate. 
The first time I lived in Paris, I lived in the 13e, which is 13th arrondissement. Um, the 13th arrondissement is on the left bank, which I love very much. It's very not far from the Latin Quarter, but it was a little bit more residential than uh, like touristy or very exciting. So I could be at home when I was in my apartment and then venture all over the city really, really quickly. So I started being a huge live on, stay most of my time, left bank. Then as I evolved, I moved over and migrated to be a right bank person. So if, <laughs> if any of your people are um, New York people, I'll just give you an idea. Um, the left bank is like Upper West Side, very vibrant and lively and stuff to do. And the right bank is like Upper East Side, a little more up upscale, a little less um, going on, more upscale restaurants and things like that. Um, <clears throat> so I love the West Bank, the left left side, Upper West Side energy, you know, when I first started to move there. But then I kind of migrated over to the right bank. And discovered some neighborhoods that were still very interesting and still lively, but perhaps maybe not as all night as as a, as a Latin Quarter, where students mm -hmm. would be in the bars and things. So I lived in the 13th twice. I lived in the first arrondissement, and I lived in um, Belleville, which is I think it's the 16th. Yeah, okay. and that's actually my favorite neighborhood right now, Belleville. I love Bellevue. Oh, I mean, I'm impressed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you got around that city. So when are you moving back? So Paris and I have had a long relationship. I, the first time I went was like, I guess, like I told you, 2001. And I've gone every year since. And I lived there for, you know, like I said, the four months over the summer, various times. And it's it's almost like a long relationship where you love them, but you know you need your space a little bit. Yeah. Well, yeah, I can get along with that. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, I furiously wanted to live there full time, you know, for a long, long time, and it's it's not easy to emigrate. You know, you've got to get the right to work, and you have to have your paperwork. So I never really did the whole process to really live there full time. And now it's more like, you know, Paris is still like my little love affair. I, I love to go. I, the last time I went was 2018. Um, and I went to participate in the Dîner en Blanc, which a lot of people are familiar with now. The Dinner en Blanc are white, the white dinners that right. they have mm -hmm. over mm -hmm. where you, um, everyone is dressed in white. You have to carry your table with you, you carry a chair, you bring your food. And you meet somewhere and then there's a surprise destination where you set up and you have this impromptu dinner somewhere else. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. It's, it's, that's it's, cool. It's, it's, yeah. It's a trend that's all over major cities. Um, but it started in Paris. It was a, a few friends that decided to have a, a dinner one day and they met up and it just grew and grew and grew. So um, in 2018, it was a big celebration. I think it was the 15th. I forget what year it was for them, but it was a big anniversary year. And the, the Dine en Blanc is an invitation only event. You have to get invited. You have to get on this website and all this stuff. So Paris finally opened up. Like usually Paris was closed. So they opened up and you got a chance to do the Dine en Blanc in Paris. So I had to go. It was the year I was turning 50. Paris was so 
you know, essential to my whole happiness. And to do the Dine en Blanc in Paris, the first time they opened it up, I was like, I'm there. So that's the last time I was in Paris. It was amazing. You said earlier that when you first got there, it was so exciting for you that you just looked down this long street and, and down street and you could see the Eiffel Tower. Um, I'll hazard to say that most folks, when they think of Paris, they think of the Eiffel Tower, they think of Notre Dame Cathedral. What is there about the Eiffel Tower or Notre Dame Cathedral that makes it so exciting? What's, what's, what's the, is, is it the history? Is it the structure? What is there about the Eiffel Tower? Well, you know, the Eiffel Tower and Notre Dame, they're all iconic. They're iconic. You grow up seeing them in stories and fairy tales and movies. And it, 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 it leads to that like dream aspect of Paris. Like, oh, I hope I could someday see the Eiffel <laughs> Tower, you know? And I think that's part of it. It's no, no different than like Lady Liberty, right? It's iconic. Okay. Um, but when Eiffel Tower was first proposed and first built, they hated it. The French hated the Eiffel Tower. They thought it was an, a, a, an atrocity to the city. They thought they have all kinds of nicknames for the Eiffel Tower. Um, and I can't recall. I wish I could find the name in French because it always sounds better in French. <laughs> than <English>. but, <laughs> but what but what they would tease and call Eiffel Tower was the lady with her legs open. Because you know how yeah. it's her legs open. Yeah. So they had a. Michael face, lit up, Michael face lit up again, man. I don't know. What <laughs> man, <yeah. laughs> Go ahead. Continue, Gay. <laughs> yeah, so they did not, they did not like the Eiffel Tower when it was first constructed. And you know what other structure they did not like when it was first constructed? What's that? The pyramid at the Louvre. Oh. They hated it. They hated it. Because it was, you know, such a contrast. The modern of the pyramid to the to the old yeah. of that yeah yeah. Of yeah. The loom. yeah it was it was not very well received but of course those things are very much beloved today but yeah the eiffel tower i think is just even even now i'm really it's ridiculous how much i really do love paris because if i'm sitting here in my living room and there's a commercial and they show the eiffel tower i am for sure gonna go oh eiffel tower. <laughs> <laughs> i always do um but at night, it's so pretty because at night, on the, every half hour on the hour, it lights up and sparkles. Nice, nice. Yeah. Do, do, uh, do, you, do you have Netflix at home? Yes. Uh, there is a show on Netflix called Lupin. I already I, saw it, the whole thing. Oh, I, I watched. It. I watched the first four episodes last night. So when you mentioned the the uh, the Louvre, I was like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> I was going to mention that to you. So if you ha you've already seen it, so I don't have to say it. But yeah, I've only watched five episodes, so don't ruin it for me. <laughs> I won't. It's really good. I love it. I love yeah. it. I love that. That's and the reason good. I the, the, I'll tell you the, the reason I answer that question because. The first time I went to London, it was all excited about, you know, you hear about the River Thames. You, you, when I got there, it was like the Hudson River. What's the big deal? I've heard about the London Bridge. I go there, and it's like the Brooklyn Bridge. So for me, I'm saying, where's the excitement? What is there about it? But you explained it very well. Well, you know, I mean, I feel like um, there are different types of people that are travelers, right? There's not, I mean, if you approach a place, like, what's exciting about it? 
Like yeah. what's going to make me excited? You'll never be excited. You'll never be excited. Like, what? Right. Yeah, right. you know, it, it's not, it's not to be, uh, it, it doesn't jump down and tickle you. You know what mm. I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the part, mm-hmm. the part that's exciting is just the experience and putting all of your imaginations and all of the, you know, I, there's a little, there's a movie called a little romance that I fell in love with when I was little, I was about 12 when I saw this movie and it was about this American girl. Her father lived in Paris. He was a, um, a, um, a, um, what do you call it? Diplomat. And she meets his little French kid and this, you know, he's a, his, his father's a taxi driver. So difference in class, right? He was definitely in the left bank and she was definitely in the right bank. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, and they meet and they fall in love, like little kid fall in love. Like, you know, they're both so smart and they like love that part about each other. They, and so they run away cause she's going to be moved back home. And so they run away to have a kiss under the bridge of size in Venice because they heard that if you kiss under the bridge of size, you'll be in love forever. And so even though she's going to be moving home and they're going to never see each other again, maybe they want to do this little version for themselves. And so I remember watching that movie and thinking to myself, Oh my God, I would love to get to these places, but I don't think I ever will. And then on that first trip, I got to take myself to those same places that I saw in that movie. I literally, I actually had a, a teary moment when I was like, oh my gosh, I brought myself to the, the Bridge of Sides. I've seen the Eiffel Tower. I, d- I did all this stuff I never thought I would do. That's what travel does. What's there? Why is it exciting? That's why. <laughs> That's why yeah, it's exciting. Yeah. And I'm glad you explained it. I'm glad you explained it that way because only recently, uh, me and Michael, we had a conversation about the advantages of traveling and having those experiences. It's, I mean, you can't take that, you can't take those experiences away from you and learning about other people's cultures and imagining, you know, to me, that says a whole lot um, about someone. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really glad you explained it the way you did. Yeah. I mean, and, and if you have that kind of wanderlust about you, that's what, that's what really turns you on about travel, you know, because you can really, if you sit, if you're, um, if you're an armchair traveler, like you want everything to be like home or you want something to be so fantastic that it knocks you off your seat. Well, you're probably disappointed every day of like of your own life, <laughs> you know, but if you walk yeah. out the door, with the sense of, ooh, what can I discover today? You know, wow, that was cool. If you have that kind of um, energy, then I think things also always you know, seem brighter for a person like that. You know, which begs the question, why would you go visit any country, not just France or Paris or London or wherever? Why would you go to any country and expect it to be another America? Why right. would you even bother to go? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that defeats the purpose to me. <laughs> Well, you know, I'm, I think this is a good topic to talk about, too, in your, in your podcast, because um, there's several reasons for it. Right. People are afraid. They're 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 afraid that things will be different. They're afraid that they won't like it. They're afraid that they won't be accepted. They you know, they have you know a bit of a fear. Um, my personal pet, though, is also for this generation that just travel for Instagram pics, that there's nothing that annoys me more 
than to roll through a city like Paris and just take Instagram pics, but never take a tour. Right. (laughs) Or never try to like indulge in the actual culture. They'll buy a croissant to take a picture (laughs) to show that they have had a croissant, but they don't know. You know, I, I would always, always encourage my clients to take a cooking class in Paris. And, um, and there's a great, there's a great, um, my favorite, uh, cooking class. It's little school. They actually operate out of a, out of a little small building that looks very similar to a brownstone in Brooklyn. So the class size is really small, maybe about 12, I think the most is 16. And during the cooking class, they take you to the market and they, and you go with your instructor and you buy the ingredients in the marketplace, fresh ingredients. And then you go back to the, the, the building and then you prepare your meal. And the thing that I think is so, I make sure I always, almost all of my clients that I've ever booked have always taken this cooking class. Um, <clears throat> because I think so much about your experience in Paris in particular will be about food. And so much of your experience in terms of like relating your, like your flavor profile to a, to a French flavor profile and how, um, you know, what things are important to the culture and how they prepare it and what's the history behind it and stories you hear about what happened here or what happened there. I think that brings the whole city alive for you. And it's not just you bought a croissant and you took a picture, like you don't have any connection to that croissant. Right. But when you take a class, a cooking class, it, it it makes the whole experience come way more alive. Are are you able, since we're talking about food, my favorite subject, are you able to, um, how do you describe French cuisine? Uh, I mean, it, Paris in particular is known the world over for their cuisine. If, if there's any place on planet Earth that's known for food, it's Paris. And I... I, I I guess you can't put it in a nice, neat box. I don't think you can do that with any cuisine. But how would you describe the the French cuisine overall? Tastes good. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Tastes real good. Tastes very good. Um, You know, I think that there there are levels to uh, cuisine. I think when people, um, one thing about, you know, um, your expectations, right, when you think, Cordon Blue and Chef, you know, it, it feels very like um, unapproachable or very, it's going to be over my head. I'm not going to understand this cuisine, right? Um, and you can have that type of experience when you're in Paris. There are amazing, fancy restaurants where you can get this unbelievable meal, right? But my experience in Paris was. If you just go to the little patisserie, which is the little bakery, you get one of those sandwiches you see in the glass that's like long bread and it's just lettuce and tomato and just chicken or something. The sandwich is so good. (laughs) (laughs) I would have this sandwich for lunch on my way to French class and I would be like, what is in this sandwich? There's not even a spread on it. It's just so good. good. And then when you go to the bakery and you find those beautiful desserts and they just look like a little present and you don't even want to 
bite it because it's it'll mess up the beauty. But then when you bite it and you taste into it, it is just explodes with flavor in your mouth. So I guess what I would say is um, I feel that the French take a, a extra step to do things because they think it should be done a certain way. It should just be it should be good and you should take pride in that it tastes good, that it looks good. The presentation is there so that you could have um, a, a great little meal in one of those little cafes that where they have the table sitting out front. Yeah. And you can just have salad. They have this salad dressing there that is so good. You just put it on your little lettuce. You have a little um, piece of quiche. Quiche is great in Paris. Um, coffee, great coffee, hot chocolate, chocolate show, avec chantilly, which is the whipped cream. Whipped cream. Fantastic. Whipped cream, fantastic. Um, so many items of their food is made fresh. Now, that's a good lesson. That's another lesson that I learned because when I was, whenever I would be getting ready to go home, the day I would leave, I would want to get a few things to have with me on the plane. And one of them is I would always get one of those little patisserie that I saw and take that so that on my flight back, I have something to eat. And one of my French friends, the first time my French friend, he was like, are you sure you want to take this? You know, you're not flying for a couple of hours. Are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. Why, why can't I? Because it's fresh and it, and it would, and it, in hours, it's like leaving something out that needs to be refrigerated for hours. When I, when I got on the plane and I tasted it, it had that little tart where you're like, Oh, that's why he said that. Because <laughs> they don't really have, they don't really work with preservatives in right. the food. It's fresh. So if you buy, if you have something with cream or, you know, you need to keep it refrigerated. You can't just drag it around all day and then right. think it's going to taste great, which Amer in American culture, it's going to last for 10 years. You know, you buy it. <laughs> well, that's because of all the preservatives and things <laughs> they put in it to maintain it. Exactly. <laughs> fresh fruit is meant to be eaten when it's fresh. Yeah, that that's a uh, uh, that another pet peeve. Okay, now I'm going to pivot to something a little tangentially related. We've heard a lot about French wines. Um, my girlfriend's brother, who's a doctor up in Boston, he's actually going to retire in France. Oh, and he goes there every year just for the wine. Him and is his he wife. Single? Uh, no, he's married. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> um, but yeah, he he um, he and his wife go there. They've been married six years now. Uh, they mm -hmm. go there about once or twice a year and they just go for the wine. They don't go for the culture or anything. They just drink that wine. Um, what is your feeling about French wines and do you have any favorites? Okay, so... Um... Or do you right. drink? I'm sorry. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. I think when you part of the, part of the love of travel is the whole experience. So I want to experience everything. So um, one of the experiences that I found early on was a, a really cool wine tasting experience in Paris. My friend Olivier um, has this this um, experience called O Chateau. Olivier Chateau, O Chateau. Yeah. And I have been booking my clients to O Chateau. Every, I always book an O Chateau session. Um, 
at the time we were both young, we're both a little old, middle-aged now, but at the time we were both young. And so it was a place to have a, like a really cool vibe. Um, and now he has actually a wine bar in Paris and he does tasting under, you know, lower in the session below. And during the tasting that the sommelier will take you through really fun, not uh, intimidating lesson on French wine and the regions and all about the, um, the industry. And then it's paired with this wonderful tasting that you, that you get. And um, one of the things that I learned about French wine is um, they name the wine by the region and the grape. Okay. So, like, you know, things like um, Chardonnay or um, what's another one? Bordeaux, right? Um, when you're when you're in and you're in Paris trying to buy a bottle, you won't really see Chardonnay or Bordeaux. You'll see literally like the wine region that it's grown from. Yeah. And, and they'll talk about the grape, like what kind of grape is in it. So it's not that easy to like <laughs> buy wine in France you know, with these general titles, they usually have a little bit more detail in it. And people, they just tend to know, they know more. And they're, they're, they're kind of like, you don't know this region or, or whatever. Right. Um, so it helps to have someone to help pick a bottle in, in Paris. But um, one of the things that the, the wine in, in France is so good is because of the land, they call it terroir, terroir. And that's what, the chemical makeup of the ground affects the different types of grapes and also yeah. the sunlight they get and all kinds of things. So France, for some reason, is ideal for certain grapes and certain varietals of wine. And that's that's their that's their their heritage. Um, and I think people I don't know if most people know, but like champagne is really only to be called champagne if the wine, if the grapes came from Champagne, France. If they haven't, then they, they are not really allowed to <laughs> Everything, else, everything else is foul champagne. Okay. <laughs> that's why you see sparkling wine. That's why Italy calls it Prosecco and Spain calls it Cava. It's still champagne, but the, to be called champagne, it must be from Champagne France. Well, I'll I'll tell you, Gay, I'm very much into fashion. We haven't touched on that yet. Um, I... Years ago, I was a big fan of uh, Pierre Cardin, uh, Yves Saint Laurent. <laughs> Those were, I used to purchase, buy their clothing, their, clo their shoes, etc. Can you touch a bit on fashion and shopping as well? In, oh, in absolutely. France? Now yeah. you're talking another one of my languages, which is fashion and clothes. Um, one, of, on one of our trips that we went, um, a couple of the girls in my group, had the run-in of life, they ran into Karl Lagerfeld on the streets of Paris. And wow. They fell out. <laughs> wow. They actually got a I mean, they didn't take a picture with him. You don't take a picture with Karl Lagerfeld, but they did take a picture of him. So that was quite exciting. Um, the, the shopping in Paris, I think, is unparalleled because of the style. It's very a very fashion-forward, very eclectic sense of fashion and things that they're doing in Paris come later to the States, depending, right? I mean, yeah. we also have fashion that we import outside the world, but there is a vibe in, in Paris and France where you'll start to, you'll start to see some things there before you'll see it here. Um, 
my favorite area. So, okay, the main, um, you know, address for the luxury brands is Champs-Élysées, right? The Chanel, Chanel shop, the Louis Vuitton shop, um, whatever the brands are, they have a big store, iconic store on the Champs-Élysées or in that very area. Um, and you can go there. Actually, I had a, a celebrity experience <laughs> my first time in Paris. I happened to meet Chris Tucker, the comedian. Yeah. <laughs> I happened to meet him in Paris. And I think because, you know, he's there in France around a bunch of French people. And I, we actually, he was in a restaurant when I ran into him and he was taking pictures and all this other stuff. And I was like, hey, Chris Tucker, I'm from Jersey, right? And he's like, hey, who said that? You know, and <laughs> I was like, me. You know, so we started talking. And so then he like said, well, give me a call. And I was like, huh? Give you a call. I said, he said, yeah, give me a call. So I said, oh, okay. So I gave him a call and <laughs> and I wound up being a mini tour guide for Chris Tucker in Paris for nice. a couple of days while he nice. was there. I took him all or all over to my favorite places. And and I think for him it was just nice to be around another, you know, black American in, in a city that's a little bit odd. People don't speak the same language. And and so we just had a lot of fun. So he he was like, so he's like, just he's like, come with me. So he took me and we went to Louis, Louis Vuitton store. And it's a whole other experience when you're with a, a celebrity than when you go there yourself. When you go there yourself, usually there's a line and you have to wait. And they only allow a certain number of people in the store to begin with. You're only on certain levels of the store. And, you know, you they've got someone helping you. You buy your bag and you're out the door. But when I went in there with Chris Tucker, we were escorted to an elevator to a secret floor, a personal shopping floor. And we were escorted into these big seats and we sat and they brought, what did they bring? Wine. Champagne. <laughs> champagne. <laughs> they brought the champagne. And they're just bringing him thing after thing to consider to buy. Big the trunks that when you open, they have hangers and drawers in there and just all kinds of things. They're, they're just bringing him things. And I'm, I'm excited because I've never seen anything like this. I'm just sitting there having a great old time. And then he like looks over at me. He says, pick something. I'll get you something from here. And nice. I was like, what? Pick something. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, pick something. I was like, <gasps> so anyway. <laughs> what did you pick? I picked. so. That year was the first year that Louis Vuitton had done the embossed logo where it's like a stamp. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he had done the metallic. So I have a gray metallic embossed Louis Vuitton um, present from Chris Tucker. Hey. So I'll, I'll tell you what, if you have any images of that experience, send them to <laughs> us. Mike. <laughs> yeah. my, my, really yeah, my Chris Tucker experience isn't as nice as yours. In Santa Monica, about 20 years ago, they had the Image Awards, and I think it was right after they did either Rush Hour 1 or 2. And I'm walking because it was held at the hangar at the Santa Monica airport. And I'm walking through the hangar, and next thing I know, Michael, Michael, with that voice of his. And I'm like, who in the hell's calling me? I thought it actually was calling somebody else because I've never, I had never met him. Michael! And I'm like, looking around and he's just laughing come to find out the girl that I was dating at the time had gone over there and told him to do that 
Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, that was so that's one end of the of the of the shopping experience you can have in Paris, which I think is still worth it. You know, save your money if you're going to go to Paris and maybe it's your first time or you think it's your one once in a lifetime. Save your money and go ahead and buy yourself a Louis Vuitton from the Louis store in Paris. They have designs and styles that are not available everywhere else. You know, they do carry some things, but the store in Paris has some things you can only get in the store in Paris. So go ahead and do it. Why not? Um, you do get the taxes back. So that's a little bit of a discount. Um, so I think you should do it. Um, but the other side to Paris, um, well, there's actually two more sides I'll talk about. Um, the area that I shopped the, the most when I'm there is called the Marais. And it is the third arrondissement of Paris. And it's just, it reminds me of the village in New York, where there's little streets and all these really cool boutique shops with small owners. And you'll find all this cool stuff. And you'll just be like, wow. You know, when I remember when I was there, kind of those um, shirts that or skirts that kind of were different levels, like it more like, like not one um, circumference around your bottom was had like two layers to it. Mm -hmm. They kind of first came out. It was the first time I saw it was in Paris. So some other trends that I was like, wow, look at that. And then, then it later came back to the U.S. So when you're in the Marais, you could just walk, walk around and you'll see all kinds of designs in these shops and they're boutique. They're individually owned. Some prices are, some places will be high or, you know, the, the price tag will be higher than others right next door. So it's not like that whole neighborhood is unaffordable or priced out. You, you can kind of pick and choose and, you know, get bits and pieces of different things, but it's really closer to like the, the heart of fashion, I think is the Marais. And I would say the third, um, big shopping experience that people talk about is the Marche, um, the, the market or the flea market, Marche Pousse, Marche Pousse. Um, and that is a great place to go to find um, antiques or um, all kinds of like artwork, cool yeah. things for home. You know, it's a huge, the one that I'm talking about is in the north, is in the 18th arrondissement, the north outside of the 18th, north of city, north of, Par of Paris, right outside the circumference. And this, it goes on and on and on. And the, they've got, so of course, they've got the, your regular crap. You know, you can go get your regular <laughs> crap, you know, light bulbs or, you know, you know, right. anything a flea market would have, little plastic knickknacky things. Um, for my clients, I always tell them that's a good place to get your little tourist T-shirts and things for people that you want to buy a lot of. Go to the, the market one day. But as you go deeper and deeper into the market, there's some serious sales going on in, in terms of real antiques, in furniture, in furnishings, in artwork, um, in, um, um, you know, with clothing. Um, when you put when you put clothing, when you have good clothes, you, I can't think of the word. Um, when you put, when when you sell high item clothing, but it's you've worn it. Um, like on consignment. Consignment, thank you. Consignment shops are great. So you, it, that's what you can also do in Paris, and it's really really fun. 
Well, nice. uh, in, in the limited time we have left, we've had you for an hour already. Um, I'm going to paint a picture. I go to Paris, let's say it's my first time ever. How do you arrange your accommodations? Do you like to stay at hotels? Do you like to stay at, at Airbnbs? Uh, uh, how do you like to set up your clients if you're like a first-time traveler and you're not there? Let's say they don't have you. Um, you know, how, how would you recommend they do that? Well, the first thing I would say is just book your trip with a travel professional. Um, I think a lot of pe people don't understand how travel professionals operate and they think, oh, they're going to pay more. You're not going to pay more, but you are going to get the advice and the direction from someone that knows more. How about right. that? <laughs> yeah. yeah, They know more. Um, and I think when you when you travel to a place like Paris, there's so many factors that you, it really is worth getting the help of an expert from the language difference to different neighborhoods to different things that you can do that you, that you can't read in a guidebook and why this, why my cooking class that I use is better than whatever cheap one you can get on Groupon, that those kind of things a professional can help. Um, my personal recommendation is stay at a, I believe you should stay at a hotel. Um, I know that Airbnb and do it yourself is, is a rave. But I think if it's your first time to the city, a hotel offers additional support that you don't get if you rent a house and you're on your own. And, right. you know, also the location. You don't really know where you're, you know, if you don't know where you are um, booking this hotel. Like I can know because I'm experienced. I know the city very well. I can tell you if in the 16th hour in Dismont, this is a great place to stay or it's not, you know, but you won't know. And you're. Most of the time when people are looking at Airbnb, they're just looking for cheap. They're just looking at the price. And you've got to really, when, you, when you're planning a trip like to Paris, it should be value, not cheap. Right. Some things you should pay more for and some things you can pay less for, but your goal should not be to do it as cheap as possible. That right. Then you wind up shortchanging yourself in the end and it, it winds up not being that cheap. So uh, honestly, I think, a hotel in the city, in the center of the city, I would, I would go ahead and put a little more money in the hotel for location right. because the, the public transportation in Paris does not run all night. The subways and buses and stuff stop, stop running around midnight. So if you're out having a great time and you're, hotel or your Airbnb is out of the city limits, you're going to get stuck taking a 50 euro taxi to get home in the middle of the night. And there, you should have just paid that 50 euro. Done your and, thing and, and call stayed, it a day. <laughs> and stayed in the center of the city so that you could have the freedom to walk around and be all over. So I definitely recommend a hotel. Another thing that people don't uh, think about, and this actually happened to me, me and my, my friend who is, We are advanced travelers. She's actually British and I'm American. And when we went to Paris for the Dinay en Blanc two years ago, three years, well, four years ago. Oh my gosh. How many years ago? It's 2018 now. <laughs> three, uh, three years ago. Well, three now, yeah. <laughs> when we went there, um, we got we got an Airbnb. I can get an Airbnb because I know the neighborhoods and where right. I'm living. I don't right. need that extra service. But if you're going for the first time, you do. So we got an apartment. Something happened with the code and the key. You could not get in the apartment and it was two, three in the morning. 
we could not get in. Wow. The person that owned the apartment was away and they're not answering their phone at three in the morning. We literally could not get in. So we were stuck. Um, so we, what we wound and we were on the street, like stuck street, like scared on the street at three in the morning. Like, what do we do? So we actually wound up having to spend the night at a, at a hotel because we could not get into our apartment. So if you're a first timer and you don't speak French and you don't know where you are, you know, your neighbors are not obliged to help you. That's true. <laughs> so if you get locked out or you can't get in or something happens or you want to know, you know, a, a recommendation of where I could, where should I go or what should I do? Your neighbors in the apartment or the house where you are are not obliged to help you. I think yeah. the extra support that a hotel lobby and a concierge provide and, and plus hopefully you pick the rate that includes the breakfast so you just get that out the way go downstairs get breakfast have a conversation with the concierge you get that little bit of support that you need and then it and then one of the secrets is you always take the card of the hotel with you because when you're in a taxi trying to explain to the driver where it is you're probably going to say the name of the street wrong he's not going to know what you're talking about <laughs> so you should always carry the card from the hotel with you Man, that 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 that's actually good advice not only for for France that's good advice for anywhere that anywhere. you're in a country where you don't speak the language that I I'd never thought about that in all my actually anywhere travels. even if you, even if you do speak the language you should still just bring grab right. a card from the hotel and have it with you because you know that way you know where you where you need to be and you have the phone number in case you're out somewhere and you can't find it your cell phone breaks down what are you going to do then right 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 well, I have I have two final questions when are you going back. Well, you know, we're on, we're on pandemic right now and it breaks my heart. I have many close friends that I've been friends with for years that live in Paris. So when I go, you know, I have real friends and people to catch up with and people I'm concerned about and, and I would love to see them. But, you know, during this pandemic, <clears throat> we, we have to wait for the world to open. Um, so I don't have immediate plans to go back, but for sure, I will definitely be visiting Paris um, as soon as I can once the world opens up. Right, right, right. I, I feel like we can do this forever, and I'm sure Dave probably feels the same way. It's like, I got some great information from you, but I feel like there's more and more and more and more. So at some point, we're going to have to pull you back in and do this again, but we're going to talk about some other areas of travel, and then we'll just butt the two shows back to back so they can get the full picture, not only of just Paris, but you've been all over the entire country, and we haven't even touched on that yet. So that's true. I'm hoping you will come back and do this with us again. Uh, we can get into more of the the uh, weeds of, of the French culture. The, the people, those not only the city, but the other regions like, you know, the French Riviera is a favorite place of mine and some of the wine regions that you were discussing and things like that. So I, I do hope you come back. But before we go, uh, I know you are running an active travel agency business. Um, tell our audience where they can contact you at the appropriate times when the world starts to open up again. Well, I actually my business is now more of a consultancy, so I okay. don't really book travel. But right now, um, I've, I um, launched a new organization called the Association of Black Travel Professionals. And our association um, was founded really to um, address the disparity in diversity in terms of leadership in travel. There's, there's, we found that there's no, um, no real studies to talk about 
the impact that Black travel professionals have in the industry. And so what, what, that, what that means is there's an overlook of our, of our specific demographic when it comes to the travel industry. One of the things where you see that is maybe in advertising, right? You don't see people of color in luxury or ex- experiencing luxury properties. And it makes people feel like, do Black people travel that way? And yes, yes, Black people do travel that way. Um, and that's just one of the one of the things that we see that that come out of that lack of um, of parity. So our organization is set up to help with training. We offer our, our own training platform. We are an advocacy organization for issues in terms of developing leadership in in travel. We are going to be hosting our first conference, Beyond Travel Leadership Forum, in November of 2021. And we're also starting our own awards gala, where we can um, award travel professionals of color that are really doing great things, and also the companies that are making strides in terms of diversity. Fantastic. I got love it. Got it, got it. Well, Gay, we really do appreciate you being on our show. Um, and uh, we're, we're going to follow your organization and we'll talk off air about some of the, my thoughts about that because I have a thousand of them. Um, but I, I really wanted to thank you for sharing your, your Paris experience. And uh, uh, like I said, I know there's more in you that you can share with us. We just don't have the time right now. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so uh, again, you, you, uh, we would like to have you back at some point, like I said, and we'll just do a deeper dive on some of the other parts of France and some of the other places you've been. France is not the only place she's been. It's just the one that we wanted to focus on for today. So uh, again, thank you so much. Um, and if you would like to uh, listen to this episode again, uh, our website, tripcast360.com, is the easiest place to find us. But we're also on all the podcast platforms, Google, iTunes, you name it, we're there. Spotify, iHeartRadio. So um, for, uh, until next time, this is uh, Michael Bennett. Uh, say goodbye, Dave. And this is Dave. This is the, how, what did you call me at the beginning of the show? I think I called you the Barbados Flash. The Barbados Flash. This is the <laughs> Barbados Flash. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, and uh, uh, we'll see you next time with another great uh, TripCast 360 podcast. <laughs>